And the nurses who tell the story to this day come running and they go, oh my God, are you kidding? I'm fine. That was my pity party. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Steik, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acri. As always, Luke, we're recording a little bit different today. We're back to being quarantined. Yep, we're back quarantined on the Zoom podcasting. I miss you though, man. It's like I it's never back see to Stay Paid HQ, highly quarantined. But hey, we're recording a little bit differently. We're going to have a little bit of a different episode for you guys this time. So we met this gentleman. We're going to introduce him in just a second, but he has an incredible story and something that we want to share with everybody, allow him to share with everybody today. Uh, but before we do that, we would love if you take a minute to subscribe to the uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts if you're not already subscribed and leave a review along with a comment just to let us know how we're doing. This review comes from Jen Shannon 8 via Apple Podcasts. She says, excellent podcast for business, any business, rates at five stars. If you want tips on building your business as an entrepreneur, this podcast offers solid advice for all kinds of businesses, especially those in real estate and financial services, which is pretty apropos because the gentleman that we have here on the podcast actually has over 20 years of experience in the financial services industry. His name is Matthew Newman. He is the author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Starting at the Finish Line, which chronicles the journey that he and his family took after being diagnosed with brain cancer at the age of 39. Matt has been all over the country inspiring audiences as a keynote speaker, including three TEDx talks. So we really wanted to bring him on and really just share his story with the audience here. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Absolute honor to be here. I got to ask you, do you go by Matthew or Matt? Because I've been calling the you Matt. The only person that calls me Matthew is my mom. Let me okay. throw that one out there to Matthew everybody and, right uh, now. Matthew and podcasters who read bios. <laughs> yes, and podcasters. That's, exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. I was going to say, Matt Josh and your mom. sufficient. <laughs> well, Matt, man, we're super excited to have you on the show. Uh, I, You know, actually how we came across your story, you had reached out to us on Instagram. And immediately when I started looking into you as a, as a guest, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be an incredible incredible journey and story to listen to, especially because I think some of the greatest things you learn in life and lessons come from adversity. Uh, so I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to the audience and just take a little bit of time to talk about this journey. And then let's dive into really, you know, what it's brought you to today and really this focus on how you're helping business professionals and what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. You learn the greatest lessons in life at the deepest and darkest of times. You're given this new perspective, a new vision that you could see things through, a new lens of a gift that you're given. But sometimes it takes us going through this difficulty to really be able to understand the reality, the fragility of what life actually offers. We all have this Teflon feeling like nothing could happen to us until we come across a path that we have trouble getting over. And what's interesting is I grew up outside New York City in Northern New Jersey. And I grew up with my mother as a teacher and my father as a financial advisor. They would plant these seeds deep inside of me. And just like everybody gets these planted seeds from their parents that don't bloom till later on. They don't make sense. And you're wondering why you're getting this advice, but right. sometime in life they pop up and you go, huh, I get yeah, it that's now. That's why they said that. <laughs> it, it's the truth. So kids, remember, you're getting great information. It's going to bloom at some point. And, I'm going to play that for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I try that with mine. It doesn't go over doesn't so well, work. but it will one day. 
And what they did is they would always teach me these lessons on planning and, and education and all this stuff. And I graduated from the University of Delaware in 1996. As guys in the King of Prussia area, I know many of us are familiar with the university. We have many of us like to refer to it as the fighting blue hens. I'm going to tell you down there, we call it the ass kicking chicken. And I was all excited graduating. I remember Maya Angelou was giving her keynote speech. We're on the football field and we're in the blue cap and gown looking good. And my old man's from the Bronx. And my dad comes around and looks at me and goes, gives him the fist pump. Like, not bad, pal. I'm like, dad, the king is arrived. College graduate. King has arrived. He goes, what do you want to do now? I go, that's easy, dad. I want to be a financial planner. I want to join your practice. And my father's thick Bronx accent, and I will clean this language up big time. He goes, there's no bleeping way you're joining my practice. And every picture of me to this day, still in my parents' house at graduation is like, jerk off. I can't believe this guy. He was giving me one of the greatest lessons in life. He was saying, there's no free lunches. You want something, go out and earn it. So I became what was called a wholesaler. A wholesaler gets the same licenses as financial advisors. We go through the same stuff, but we facilitate the products that companies manufacture, like a 401k, a mutual fund, uh, life insurance. And we go meet with advisors and show them why they should use ours versus other best interest to clients, all this other stuff. And I came from a very simple philosophy. And I remember my dad sitting down with me, and this is when things started to bloom. If you don't believe in the products or your family would own it, don't sell it. You lose the battle to win the war. It's about building relationships built off trust. Number two is always be honest. If you're not honest, eventually people are going to find that out and you're going to lose these relationships that you've built up. And number three is take your work ethic. I got a soccer scholarship to play at the University of Delaware. Goes, You couple those three things together and great things that could happen or great things will happen. And my philosophy to keep this quick for you was always the job of the financial advisor is to be there when things are bad, to give people good news at the deepest and darkest of times, to have a plan in place prior to the negative. People want life insurance when they can't get it, long-term care when they can't get it. They want some type of financial plan after they lose 30%. It's not about your investments. It's about having planning in place like your will, your power of attorney. There's basic legal documentation that will alleviate the burden of negativity during difficult times and allow you to take on the battle in front of you or define yourself with your legacy by not leaving a horrible situation for the people that you love the most. Business went great, got married. 2010, I'd been number one at a guy uh, company for 15 years, and my father-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That was my first real experience with cancer. It happened when I was 15 years old. My grandma, Grandma Harry, was diagnosed with cancer. I wasn't old enough to get it or digest it or really understand the magnitude of what was happening. But one day she was Grandma Harriet. The next day she was wearing a turban. The next day she was gone. What I do remember is the pain and anguish of what it did to my mother. She became a different person. She cried all the time, nonstop. She couldn't get over it. And I wish I could have been there more. I wish I would have hugged her. I didn't get it. I'm 15 years old. But it built my hatred up for cancer. My wife with Ted, two kids under three years old. She was pregnant with our third. And every day she drove him back and forth as where you guys know to the University of Pennsylvania Hospital. 45 minutes each way, chemo, radiation, Whipple procedure. What I saw was inspirational. It was an honor to be a part of. My father-in-law had two goals. He was 60 years old. One was for all of his grandkids to be born so we could see him. And the other was for them to be old enough to have real memories of him. He was a warrior. And I was thankful to have him as a father-in-law. He showed independence and dignity when it needed the most. And cancer is like a roller coaster. It goes up, it goes down, left, right. It doesn't care about your plans. It doesn't care what you're doing tomorrow. It's going to do what it wants, when it wants. 
And he made it two and a half years. He's still doing well. And I got in a car accident in 2013. Snowy, icy day, hit the car in front of me. Car tumbled over. You know, get out of the car. I was fine. And cops come running over like, dude, your car's totaled. You got to get to the hospital. I was like, no, man, beast mode. I'm cool. And they're like, no, you got to get to the hospital. (laughs) And I called my wife who was shopping at the King of Prussia mall there, gentlemen. (laughs) And while she was shopping there, she goes, you got to go to the hospital. I go, I'm okay. And she reminded me of our friend, Karen Manzini. Karen was in a town that you may know of called Bluebell, Pennsylvania. And she was at a traffic light and a car T-bones her. And the police come running over and they go, you should go to the hospital to get checked out. She goes, okay. They come in three hours later and go, we want you to send a thank you note and flowers to the person that hit you. We found a brain aneurysm. You'd be dead in the next five hours. Oh my goodness. Thought about my wife, thought about my kids. And for all the listeners, like a type A business personality, I brought my car back on a tow truck, rented a car and went on my way. That night, my head was killing me. My wife suffers from chronic migraines. So I'm going through this massive pain. And she's like, I don't want to hear about it. You didn't even go to the hospital. And my father-in-law, Larry, sitting on our couch, going through his chemo treatments and dealing with it. I started to get strokes. I speak publicly all over the place. I would give a speech and all of a sudden just slur and gurgle would pour out of my mouth. I'm training for the Broad Street Run that we do every year. And as I'm running down the towpath in New Hope on the Delaware River, couldn't speak, slur and gurgle pours out. It keeps happening and happening. I'm giving a speech in my hometown of Parsippany, New Jersey. On May 14, 2013, I go to make a point and for the 11th time, I get a stroke hit me. That was the moment I decided I'm going to go to the hospital right now. I'm done. Wow. I leave. I jump in my car. I go to the hospital. I get down there. My wife was shopping at the King Prussian Mall. We're putting those people's kids through college. And she comes, <laughs> she comes, meets me in the parking lot. We walk in. They go, the first thing we're going to give you is like a CAT scan. I'm like, CAT scan, right on. They give me a CAT scan. And they come back three hours later and go, we know the problem. You have a lesion on the left frontal lobe of your brain. Then to me, guys, a lesion is a cut or a bruise. They were speaking their vernacular, hmm. not something I understood. Just like many of us do in business, we speak our own business vernacular instead of making things simple and easy for someone to understand. So I'm thinking, car accident. I probably banged my head when the airbag went off. They go, yeah. massive pain. I'm like, you don't know the half of it. You don't have the ability to sleep. I'm like, nope. And they go, you're not having strokes, Mr. Newman. You're having seizures. And as difficult as that sounds, I was actually like, yeah, that's the deal. Fix it. Beautiful. All right. So I'm going in for MRI, MRI, MRI. And at three o'clock in the morning, they have to bring me in for one last MRI and MRI. And they tell me they have to use contrast. So my wife says she's going to go home, make lunch for our kids that are all under five years old, going to Pennington Montessori School, and get a ride for her father to go down for his chemotherapy at University of Pennsylvania. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be in the tube an hour. Don't worry about it. They come in with a wheelchair. I go, enough of the wheelchair. I could walk to this thing. I'm cool. No, you got to get in. I go, I just did the broad street run eight days ago. I'm cool. Mr. Newman, liability in the hospital. Got to get in the wheelchair. So I get in the wheelchair and the nurse comes over and grabs the clipboard. All right, Mr. Newman, MRI, MRA. We need to see how big your brain tumor is. Wow. I go, it's a lesion. And that was the moment at 39, I found that I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Really? That is crazy. Had they not seen it before or they had seen it before and they just had not? Oh Never saw goodness. it. And nobody, it had nothing to do with the car accident, by the way. Absolutely nothing. I started to stop believing in irony. There's no way I got in that car accident. The pain started happening right after. And it had absolutely nothing to do with it. 
And you start to question yourself. And I'll tell you, when they brought me back and they put me in my bed and they hooked me up to a million machines, I just started to cry. And I started to have retrospective on my life. And I started to think about my children. I started to think about my family and my father-in-law going there. And strength is not how big your arms are. Strength is not how, how much you bench press. Strength is something that's located deep down in your belly. And at the deepest and darkest of times, you can find it, you can grab it, you can own it. I didn't know I had it. I saw it, I grabbed it, and I just started cursing my brains out. And the nurses who tell the story to this day come running in, they go, oh my God, are you guys? I'm fine. That was my pity party. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. And I was given this new set of lenses to see life through. And I understood the appreciation of living in the moment and living in the now and how fragile things can be. And you start to gain this knowledge often when there's nothing you could do with it. It's too late. But there are some diseases, there's nothing you can do about it. They're going to take you physically, but they will never define you. If you allow the disease to define who you are, that's on your shoulders right there. But there's some diseases you have a big opportunity to take on. And the surgeon and my wife come walking in and my wife's wiping her eyes. Her dad's got pancreatic cancer. He's going to die. Her son's got, her husband's got brain cancer. He's going to die. And the doctor looks at me and goes, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do major surgery on Friday. We're going to get this. I go, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get this crap out of my head and I'm going to take care of the rest. I ain't going anywhere on my kids. And he goes, don't move. And he brought me a study on the American Medical Association. And what it talked about was the opportunity to beat disease. And the number one thing in there was attitude. And all he did is pour kerosene on my fire. And he talked about something called the downward spiral. We've all heard the story of the couple that's been married for 50 years. Wife's healthy as a horse. Husband gets cancer. He dies. What do we often hear happen six months later? She dies. She dies. That's the death. Regret, resentment. And when you fall into that spiral, the odds of getting out of it are so slim. All this did is for me, show the value of how important the fight is, how important attitude is. And it got me even more fired up. But here's the part I want to really portray to all your listeners out there. My wife turns to me and she goes, our parents are on the way. I know the reality of it. Your, your mom and dad hear your son's brain cancer, he's going to die. And I know they're going to come in here and they're going to they're have that optimism and all this other stuff, but I'm going to be able to see in their eyes the realness, the, ang- the anxiety, the negativity. And I turn to my wife, I go, hey, do me a favor, give me the iPad. She goes, yeah, well, what do, you, do you want to watch a movie? They'll be here in 20 minutes. I go, I'm okay. First thing I did is I pulled up my will and I made sure that God forbid something bad happens, everything is going to flow fluidly. I then pulled up my power of attorney, which means if I become incapacitated, Rebecca will have the ability to do everything she needs to do. Nothing can get in the way. I pulled up all my life insurance. Notice none of this is about the amount of money you have. You could do these things on legal Zoom for like 19 bucks. Then I pulled out my mortgages, my investments, my children's college education funds that you can do like 20 bucks a month to. And that was the moment I realized that every speech I ever gave was actually about me. And all I was doing was I was the shoemaker's kids had no shoes. I didn't have regret. I didn't have resentment. I had the taking care of, taking care of, take care of what's next. What do we got to do? And when my parents walked in with my in-laws, Larry just looked at me and nodded. He didn't have to say anything. He was my cancer partner. He was there to show me the way, how to act, how to fight, how to have dignity. I remember my dad walking in, gave me the same fist he gave me at the University of Delaware. Hey, bud, how you doing? But I saw it. I saw it in his eyes. I saw the fear. I saw the anger. I saw the tears building up. I said, Dad, come here. Sit on some bed with me for a minute. And I went through everything. When I finished, I took that iPad and I threw it on the bed. 
I said, there's only one thing on my mind, Dad. Because what's that? I go, getting better. I don't got to worry about anything imposing on my family. They'll never get over at me if I'm not here, but they'll never alter their way of living because I was able to plan in advance. I did everything I talked about. And you can take this any way you want. For the first time in my life, I saw my dad break down and cry. And I just looked at him and he goes, you're going to beat this. I go, I know I'm going to beat it. And he goes, these are the messages you're going to share. This is what it's about. And it's unfortunate that you have the U.S. education system does no educating on this concept. We prepare people for the real world, but we don't prepare them how to fill out their benefits at your company. How to, it's not about the investment. It's about the infrastructure in place to fight when you need it the most without all this angst building up that I woulda, coulda, shoulda. And I never thought that I would be the subject of everything it is that I talked about. Hmm. Wow. Powerful. How did you, like in that moment, I'm really curious, like how did you uplift your spirit to keep going? Like walk us through, obviously you have the surgery. How, how do you keep that spirit up? Because, you know, everybody has their own situations that they're going through, their own disasters, as you would call it. What were some of the things that helped you as you reflect now? It's a great question. And it's a very odd answer I'm going to give you. I never looked the other way one time. There was nothing that initiated it. When I had my moment laying in that bed and I had that no pity party thing, that was it. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to beat this. At no point was it ever a thought in my mind, this isn't going to go the way that it's supposed to go. There might be road bumps along the way. Listen, I'm going through major surgery. I'm getting a huge C cut in my head. I had to go through chemo. I had to go through radiation. But I will tell you this, when my wife picked me up, six days after uh, I got operated on on a Friday, I went home on Sunday. Health and wealth are extremely correlated in a much deeper definition than most people realize. And it costs a lot to be in a hospital on a given night, something like that. So when she picked me up, they brought me on the wheelchair. I got in the car. I had a second head. I'm a train wreck. And we pulled up the side of my driveway. And on the side of my driveway, there's the door you can go right in to you know, the side of the house. And I remember walking in. My three kids are holding their signs saying, I love you, daddy. Thank you for coming home. I just started to cry. Mm, but yeah. I didn't cry out of fear. I cried out of happiness. This is, the home is where the heart is. This is where I want to be. It's not about tomorrow. It's not about yesterday. It's about right now. We get so caught up in minutia that takes us to all these different areas. We give up living in the moment and understanding how precious that time could be. I went upstairs to my room. I fell asleep for 13 hours. It was my bed. It's where I wanted to be. And all I did is every time I saw those children, every time I surrounded myself with them, all it was, I didn't need anything else. That is who I was there for. And I was there for my wife, who was the toughest person I've ever seen, who's got a father dying of cancer, her husband going through this, and never at any point did she cry, bitch, or complain. She did what she needed to do, and I was so honored to be her husband. That's incredible. So what is that what led you to write the book, Starting at the Finish Line, I assume? And then what... Like, what does that title mean? Starting at the finish line. Uh, obviously, it's about your journey. I'm sure you go into greater detail in there with your family. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about that. It's a great question. So I was never a writer. I mentioned something to you guys at the beginning of this about there's seeds planted in us from our parents that bloom later in life. I told you my mom was an educator. She was a teacher. She taught English as a second language. So people came to America outside New York City. My mom was always into writing. So what would happen is when I came home, the reality is, for all the optimism that I had, there's a negativity 
that you're pushing deep down in your belly to try to not deal with, to try to avoid. That negativity has to find an outlet at some point or you're going to combust. You're just going to blow up. So I started writing. I would send emails to friends and family member on my new perspective, my understanding of life, the gift that I was given. This lens that I now have is something I will never give back. People go through these stages. They lose all this weight. They get comfortable. They go back to, oh, I'll never go back to old ways. Life is precious and I'm thankful. I would 100% do this as my catharsis to alleviate that combusting. I never read one after I wrote it. It was like vomit. I would get it out of my system. And I would email the friends and family, just get it out. I was never on social media. Four years into it, I had 20,000 people following my emails. Every day I would get, hey, Matt, could you put this person on? Could you put that person on? And I realized cancer is like buying a car. You buy a car, you leave the lot, you go, look at that. That car is everywhere. Wrong. Car was always there. You just never noticed it. So you had a direct connection with it. That's what happened with cancer. But go past cancer, disease, depression. All People want to know they're not alone on their journey. They want to know there's other people taking on challenges. Every one of us has something behind this Teflon fixture here going on that's a challenge of some sort or another. So I would write to make myself feel better. I had a grade three astrocytoma. That's an aggressive cancer. Every three months, I'd have to go back and they would go, I don't know what you're doing. Keep doing. I'd say, don't say it, but it'll probably grow back. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that one right there. And I would go in. So what would I do? I'd start writing. I would get, I'd grab a pen. I would start writing. That was my catharsis. So four years after, I'm like, maybe I'll write a book. It just makes me feel better. So I wrote the book starting at the finish line. I had to wait a little while because the end of the book, which I could share with you if you want, is the craziest story you've ever heard. But now you got to share it, man. I will share it with you. I'll do it in a second. <laughs> so what happens is, so I write the book and it comes out on March 23rd, 2018. I did this at a TED Talk, by the way. I call my mom up. I go, hey, ma, the book's coming out tonight. And this is exactly what she said to me over the phone. You know, no one's ever going to read it, right? I go, oh, God, no. Look at me. I'm just, who cares about me? She goes, but you put three copies in your safe. So when your kids are old enough, they'll be able to read what really happened. I said, mom, I totally agree. And one week later, we were a bestseller on Amazon on four to five different categories. And my jaw just hit the ground. And it opened up what people want. They want connection. They want to know there's other going through. They're sick of the shit. They don't want some jerk off reading from cue cards, giving them why the, the, the odds are in their favor. They want to know that the realness, the purity of things that are going on, that they're not alone. And others have taken it on. And when they can see someone real take it on, they can too. And it starts to bring this new, I want to say perspective. But it's really obligation that you have to help other people. And there's no monetary value that really can validate what you're doing. But I will tell everybody who owns a business on this. It cements relationships like you've never seen. It's not about giving out tchotchkes and golf balls and a bunch of crap nobody cares about. It's about hitting them. All of a sudden, I had people handing my book out. If you read a post I put on Instagram yesterday, a guy I know was at the doctor getting a blood test. The guy in front of him had a brain tumor. He went out to his car. He had my book and gave it to him. I had a tear going down my eye. He's writing me this message going, this is unbelievable. I go, you did more for someone today than you really think you did. That defines you. That's something real. And that's if you're doing business, you connect with people. You build something where they buy the experience you create because you're real and you learn about them and you understand them. But to go back, I'll give it to you real quick. So my four-year anniversary of going through cancer when I was going to start writing this book, it's a big deal. I go in for my tests. They give me all my information. They go, I don't know what you're doing, but see see in four months. That weekend, we're going to spend the weekend with my family. We're all really excited. 
that four years is a big deal, brain cancer. And that Friday, I decided to take my dad to play golf. Things I changed in my life, spending more time with family, being more appreciative, leaving phones out when I go to dinner and stuff like that, understanding that I'm giving lessons to my children if I don't control what I'm doing, that they're going to copy later on. And my, we come, me and my dad come home from playing golf. And my nine-year-old son at the time, Luke, is laying on the couch. And he's screaming at me. I come walking over. I go, what's going on? She's like, well, he's riding his bike. And I live in Washington Crossing, very rural area. So now he's made sidewalks and stuff. A car comes riding down the street. He goes to get out of the way. And his handlebars flip and he falls over. I pull his shirt up. There's no bruise, no cut, no nothing. So I have to have the conversation that every dad has to have with their son sometimes. Son, we all fall off our bikes sometimes. For many of us, it's alcohol-induced. It happens now and then, but that's okay. You know, you're going to be fine, buddy. Don't worry about it. The next day, I take him down to see the Philadelphia Union soccer game. I take uh, my godson, my other son, my son Luke, and his buddy. And he is barely walking. And those of you who know where that is, I'm sure you guys do in Chester, PA, you get the hell out of there at night as quickly as humanly possible. <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, come on, man, Griswold's first in first. Let's go. Let's go. That Sunday, we're going to have our family. He wakes up at four in the morning, writhing in pain. I'm like, damn, man, I got I to take him to the hospital or something. This is messed up. So I bring him to Capitol Health, a suburban hospital at 5 a.m. There is not a soul in it in the month of May. I bring him up there. They bring us to the same room I get diagnosed in. Same room I get told I have to go on chemo on. The same room that I just got told four years cancer free. They go, we got to give him a CAT scan. I'm like, CAT scan, buddy. Nobody's taking pictures of him. It's like an x-ray. You'll be fine. Remember I told you there's nobody in there? 20 minutes later, this doctor comes over to me. She goes, Mr. Newman, can I talk to you in the other room? No. I go, why? She goes, can I talk to you in the other room? I'm like, okay. So I walk out. I go, okay, what's going on? She goes, your son's liver is completely lacerated. He needs to be medevaced to chop right this second. Oh, man. I, I, what? She goes, he needs to be put on a helicopter right now. <laughs> it's my four-year, I call my wife up. We only live five minutes away. She drives up. They get in a helicopter. I'm crying. I'm dry. Chop is 40 minutes from me. I, I can't drive him. He needs to be on a helicopter right this second. Oh, my goodness. They fly him down there. My first thought, give me the freaking cancer back. Just throw, give it to me. Give, give me the cancer back. Don't do this to my kid. I drive down there. We get in the room. There's 20 doctors poking him. Me and my wife are holding hands, fighting tears back, trying to show, show, show how supportive we are, trying to show strength, trying to show affirmation. The doctor comes up and goes, here's the good bad news. Good news is the, lancer, the liver's a regenerating organ. It's going to grow back. Bad news is if there's a blood infection, you have a serious, serious problem. Okay. So when we take him home, what do we do? Take him home. You're not going home. You're going to be in the ICU for a week. Children's Hospital Philly is probably the number one rated children's hospital on the planet Earth. The majority yeah. of people there are flown in from other countries. Yeah. Everyone who works there is not nearly compensated or decorated enough, both monetarily and with praise for the way they leave their emotion at the door and what they do. They bring us into the ICU. The first room I look at right next to us, there's a guy wearing a hazmat suit holding his two-day-old. The other room next to us, the siren goes off, and we all know what that means. What these people do is amazing. I knew if he's okay in six days, we'd be leaving. But my wife shows me a picture of the helicopter. 
and goes, I want to do something special for the pilot, Michael Murphy. He flew us down here. I was so nervous. And my wife's a tough woman from mining country PA. He goes, I want to do something for him. I go, yeah. Six days go by, we get to leave. We say some prayers for everybody that's still there because the majority of people aren't leaving. We come home. I mean, we didn't even know we were going to stay. We're in the same clothes for six days. Put a suit back on, I go to work. My wife calls me the next day, sends me a text, give me a call, I can't stop crying. My wife doesn't cry. Let me make She's someone intimidating for a little blonde girl. Let me throw that out there. <laughs> uh, so I call her up. I go, what's going on? She goes, are you watching the news? I go, no, what are you talking about? She goes, you got to watch the news. I go, Rebecca, I'm about to go into a meeting. What's going on? She goes, remember I told you about I want to send something to Michael Murphy? I go, yeah. His helicopter just crashed in Newcastle, Delaware. And at 37 years old with a pregnant wife and a two-year-old at home, Michael Murphy just died. That is crazy. It's the first time I looked up and I was like, really? Like, you're really going over the top of this. And all I thought was, I hope this guy had some type of plan in place, something to give some good news to his wife, something to allow them to to have some semblance of of, of hope and, and perspective during this time. And a few days later, a GoFundMe page came out. And that's where you really think about life. And he asked me about why I called it starting at the finish line. That wasn't the original title. There's some really bad ones, I'll tell you that. But the reason I called it starting at the finish line is because I named it and it just hit me. That if you start your planning at the finish line, and it's not about the amount of money you have, it's this. It's about alleviating the bad when you need all the good to help you fight and define yourself. And if you start there and work your way back, and like I said, unfortunately, we don't learn that in schools, you got a better shot of not only survival, you got a better shot of defining who you are. Man, that is just, I was not expecting that as, as <laughs> the story. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was not expecting that as the crazy story. Well, I have to ask you, right? Because, yeah. you know, this is what we ask a lot of people who come on the show. And I think it is really something that you could speak into is knowing what you know now, what would you go back and tell your younger self, that kid in high school? What advice would you give that person? You know, I've thought about this before because I've been asked similar types of questions. And my first reaction is, you know, life is life and you live it and you roll on and you learn from it. Many of us don't accept change. Change breeds complacency or change breeds opportunity. I'm a big believer of accepting change. And if we don't do that, things just pass us by because we act in archaic and antiquated ways. But I think the one thing I would go back and teach myself, and this is in there as well, too, it's a pretty compelling story, is when I had children, I think it was important to make sure that they understood that when I was with them, it was about them. It wasn't about my phone. It wasn't about my appointments. It wasn't about me checking in. Business is business. It's important. It's something that means more to me than anything in the world, except my family. And I think it took me going through cancer to realize that I'm teaching them that this is okay. And I wish I wouldn't have had to go through that to learn that when I'm with them, it should be their time with their dad, not my time with the children. That's powerful. Yeah, it reminds me of something uh, my mom always used to say. She always uh, would tell us that, you know, at the end of your life, all you take with you are the relationships and the memories. So that's all that, that's all that really matters. At the end of your life, it's all about relationships. 
Can I throw something into that too? I'll give you another yep. line too for all the business people watching this. There's no point being the richest guy in the cemetery. <laughs> Hashtag that. That's the quote of the episode. That's the quote of the episode. No, that's awesome, man. Awesome. Matt, I know that you do a lot with uh, with charities. You've got like Beat Brain Cancer, right? Can you tell people a little bit about that and how they could get involved? Or yeah, so it's 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 in, we always did the broad street. I was I when I played college soccer, I decided I'm never running ever again because basically soccer in college was track with a ball. That's the way I positioned <laughs> it. Like it would just run all the time and it made you know kick something here and there. That's how so, I've always felt watching it on TV. I'm like, yeah, it's running. It's, oh, it's track. So what happened is my wife was always a runner, and. When we lived in Philly, they would do the they would do the Broad Street run. I would walk over to like City Hall, see them for an eighth of a second, and then walk back and then go back home, back over to Third Street. So one year I remember, and I was always really into fitness. Uh, both me and my wife really were. And one day they're like, Oh, you should run it with us. You know, we know you don't run, you can't do it anymore. I'm like, Oh, you calling me out? <laughs> I'll do this thing. All right. And I gotta tell you, I don't consider myself a runner. I loved it. If the amount of people on the side, have you guys been there? The people on the sides of the streets, the bands, but I mean, it is infectious. It is, it is just, I was like, I'm doing this forever. This is awesome. Loved it. So for years, we would do the Broad Street Run. We used to do it for fun. And I told you I got diagnosed eight days after the Broad Street Run in 2013. Right. We decided from that point forward, we'd never miss it again. But now we're running it for a purpose. So at first, we teamed up with the National Brain Tumor Society. And what we would do is we would just collect donations for our running team and we would run. There's no obligation, no nothing. Don't send us the money, put it right on here. And it's all about us just helping people out. And then we became an ambassador for uh, Head for the Cure. And Head for the Cure, the thing that really hit us for Head for the Cure was they're not only an amazing charity, but they're helping the families who don't have the money to stay near the hospitals and all this stuff. And that really hit us in the heartstrings. So we started working with them and we still work with both of them. And our goal is just to beat this disease, but to also support the families going through it. We talk so much about the person who has it. We don't realize the shrapnel that comes from a lot of this. And if we're able to support and help those, and that's why I preach to people growing their businesses, building relationships, the way that you can connect with people is through inspiration and through pureness. And by the way, it's not always the person going through it. It's the family that's dealing with it as well too. And if you could do something that alleviates some negativity and helps their optimism grow, you are an extended member of the family at that point going forward. There's all these ways that we can connect deeper with people because every family has something on their trail that they wish didn't happen. We could address it and be there and be supportive, or we could just try to ignore that and give out a bunch of golf balls with our company's no, logo so on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So true. So true. Tell people how they can connect with you. Where can they get your book? Your book, uh, by the way, is crazy. It's like rated the second best <laughs> book on brain cancer of all time, which is like, talk about a <laughs> talk yeah. about an accomplishment, man. I was blown away. I mean, I have no, and here's why, can I tell you why I think it did so well? Yeah. Yeah. Please. I think we've there heard was, why after yeah. talking to you. For- well, that, that, yeah. well, well, here's the truth. The honest to God truth. There was no business plan. Mm. There was no ghostwriter. Wow. There was no market. I literally wrote it a hundred percent for myself. I am not making that. I literally did not care if anyone ever, but it showed me what people really want. They want that honesty. 
That's a they powerful. Wanna, they're, sick yeah. of, they're sick of the shtick. I mean, like, the, you know, well, here's the odds are if you start to drink this drink every day, your uh, cancer will lower by 20. No one cares. They yeah. want to know that other people have taken on these challenges. And if they could do it, maybe I could. So I will tell you, I was shocked when I got some of that stuff. But what I also was digesting at the same time was the direct responses I started having with people all over the world. That's why I went on social media. I can tell you, if you look at the dates of me being on social media, it's within weeks of the book coming out. I was never on it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And there's a negative underbelly to it, but there's also an amazing component to it. And dealing with people in different countries who are going through things, it's, it's really been something that things happen for a reason. I'm starting to think more and more that this did as well too. That's awesome. Well, thank but you to so answer much your for question. sharing. Oh, yeah, I'll give you the I'll give you the kind. So my website, unfortunately, as my mother calls me, is Matthew S. Newman, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N.com. Matthew S. Newman.com. On there, you have all my TED Talks, all the speeches. We've been on ESPN. We do all this other kind of stuff. But it's also got all my social media on it too, from Instagram to Twitter and whatnot. And any ways we could help out, any ways we can connect, any way we can share something with somebody. It's it's interesting. When I leave here, share this with you guys real quick. See the personal note on the inside? Someone I know has a friend who's just got diagnosed with cancer. There's the people who can you know send them flowers. That's what I'm going to send out and let them know. They're not alone on their journey. And that take awesome. this on and fight with everything you have any. And that's something that's extremely gratifying to do. That's so that awesome. awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. The website is Matthew S. Newman. We will include a link to that and all of those other things that we talked about here, as well as a link to Matt's book on staypaidpodcast.com. So you can get all of the links there as well. Uh, you can also get the video of this episode. And if you'd like to support the show, we ask that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, uh, and leave a comment to let us know how we're doing. The best way is to tell a friend about the show Share this show with a friend. You know someone who's going through something. Share this with them. Guaranteed they're going to take inspiration from it. To get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at ReminderMedia.com or you can find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acri. And you know what a powerful episode to have you stop for a moment and think about where you're at and what you're doing with your life. I think I shared before on an episode that I learned that there's not a single person on the planet that has the same fingerprint. And I heard on on a show one time that not even identical twins have the same fingerprint. And I think the power behind that is realizing that you were made for a unique purpose. There's only one you. You're unique. And no matter what journey and struggle you go on, Man, if you bring that authenticity and that uniqueness to the world, not only is that going to help you from a technical sense in your business, more powerfully, it's going to help you on your journey of life, knowing that, hey, what you're going through, you're going through for a reason, and you have stuff to contribute and give to the world. And I think the action item from this episode is just a reflection moment that goes, hey, where are you at? And are you making your life about the things and material things and the stuff? Are you realizing, hey, there's a bigger purpose, that life is bigger than just material things, technical things, and growing businesses. It's truly about relationships. Remember, the difference between top producers and mediocre producers is top producers take action. So take action on that today. 